Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, <laughs> Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm in a very good mood today, Conrad. I'm fine. I'm, I'm uh, had a good week. It's regarding my uh, cancer issues. Uh, I've gotten some, I'm going to start next week with some treatment. I can't remember what the thing is called. I want to say hyperbaric chamber or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay. Something along those lines. Yeah. And I'm going in Tuesday for my first, uh, test run. See how that's going to work. Wow. So they think it will speed up the healing. And if it does, then I win. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a few, a couple of wins in this project. So yeah, buddy, uh, that's, uh, that, and, uh, so at least we're making some progress there, but I still think it's going to be about a year healing this wound. I'm just tired of dressing it, undressing it, you know, medicating and all this shit. So in any event, life is good. I'm alive. I have no cancer and I'm just healing from this, uh, this, uh, these burns and that's what they are. Just, it looks like I've been caught. I got caught in a fire or something. So it's, uh, looking a lot better than it did. So anyway. Uh, I'm blessed. I'm better than I was. That's right. Well, we're pulling for you and we can't wait to see you tomorrow night. I believe tickets are on sale right now. You can see uh, Jim Ross and all the AEW gang tomorrow night. Uh, It's a little rare Thursday taping for us. So you're listening to this, hopefully on Thursday, tomorrow night, go see Jim and the rest of the AEW gang. Yeah. Then next week, you guys are off to Baltimore, Atlantic city, Going to hit up uh, Boston, be back in Connecticut. We're going to hit up Newark. And then who could forget, right around the corner, full gear, just a couple of weeks away now, maybe three weeks out, the uh, Prudential Center is going to be hosting you guys. And I'm uh, I'm digging what AEW is doing right now. It feels like they've had a string of a couple of really good shows, really fun shows, sort of unpredictable shows. And we're starting to see some uh, vignettes from folks we haven't seen as much lately, like Darby Allen and... He's talking about sting and where he's coming. And I love seeing Brian Danielson wrestle on my TV and Claudio Castagnoli, some pretty good shows lately and a lot of intrigue around MJF. So, 
I'll be tuned in this Friday. See what's happening. I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. Uh, we're trying real hard to make that one hour show, improve it, make it better. Uh, I like working with Excalibur and Shivani. I think that's our best, uh, a group grouping, at least for me, cause I'm working. Right. Uh, uh, I missed being on dynamite, but I'm glad that Tony put me on a rampage cause I want to help build that brand. That's con- that was the concept. Mm-hmm. Let's put JR on Friday nights. Maybe, maybe some viewers will tune in out of old time sake or whatever the reason may be. Right. And, and, and catch his action. So it's an hour show. That's how I started my career. It looks like that's how I'm going to end it. Doing our shows. If that's the case, that's fine with me. Uh, everybody's always looking for something negative, Conrad, as you well know, I, I made two comments last night. One, I said that I had a, took a screenshot of my TV with, uh, uh Brian Danielson on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like you, the more I get him on my TV, the more I like it because he's best. a wrestler. Yes. And, uh, uh, so nobody, everybody complimented that. Mm-hmm. And then I did another one l- later on, just, just follow the show along. Just whatever interests me popped in my head. And, uh, I said that, uh, it was during, uh, a John Moxley offensive, uh, frenzy. Okay. Strike, strike, strikes, assault, salt. And I said, uh, all I said was John Moxley is Austin esque. Mm-hmm. I should have probably said at this moment or tonight or during this offensive onslaught or something like that. But man, I got, I caught so much shit from some, from fans and they want to make sure you see it. Right. So they tag you in. So they think you might react to them, which I'm not, but it's just, it's funny. I I thought that was a compliment to Moxley and it's a compliment that I meant. I meant. Absolutely. So his game does remind me of Austin at certain times. Am I saying he's going to be better than Austin or greater than, I don't know that anybody will ever be greater than stone cold when he was at his peak and it was over. He's still my favorite guy. Great friend. Uh, but I just thought there are pieces of Moxie's game basically surrounding his aggression right, and his tenacity that reminded me of Steve at times. That's all I said. Right. And then you catch, catch shit for it because somebody didn't agree with you or they're thinking you're putting Austin down. No, don't, you know, people don't understand that you can confident somebody. It doesn't mean that you're knocking somebody else based on that compliment here's my thing do you reckon austin would be offended by that comparison i know i don't think so so then why should we like you know maybe we're overthinking this and 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 i hope we're not because it's supposed to be fun and i know i have fun whenever i can see you guys live hope you guys will check them out it's awtix.com jim ross coming to a town near you yeah and uh today man we're going to be talking about something pretty fun 30 years ago. Gosh, where does the time go? Halloween Havoc 1992, a really interesting time in WCW and some really interesting matches. Uh, but really, uh, an up and down tumultuous time in professional wrestling. Let's jump right into it. Uh, the September 12th and 13th of 1992, we have some shows over the weekend, of course, as we did every weekend. And when those ratings come in, it comes out that these are the lowest ratings in the 20 year history of wrestling on TBS. And listen, we've talked about it a lot. We talked about it last week on the program. Wrestling at times is cyclical, but when you hear a, a stat like that, boy, we've been on this station for 20 years and the ratings have never been lower than this. 
Uh, are you hearing from the cowboy about that? I know you were working on air and of course you're working, you know, behind the scenes and, and ad sales and whatnot. And boy, to just hear a sentence like that, the lowest ever, not good. No, it's not good, but I think we all knew the solution. We've got to get some talent over and create some storylines and shoot some angles that are meaningful and that the people will buy into. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was kind of Cowboys deal. We're not going to panic because he, you know, he he inherited a shit show Mm -hmm. and, uh, it it still stinks, but he, uh, he understood that the stench would go away if we get somebody hot or get a storyline hot. And that was always the goal. So he never really panicked on it. Hey, we, if you've been in wrestling very long, Conrad, as you just said moments ago, if you've, if you've been in wrestling for very long, you've seen the good days and the bad days, right? You know, it's like an entertainer, a singer, you know, you gotta, you're, you're always waiting for your next hit record. You know, what's going to, what's, who's going to get the, who's going to get the most play mm-hmm. and, uh, and hopefully you'll get a hit, a hit that makes you more money and gets people to listen or tune in, whatever the case it may be in this situation. So it was just a matter of, we got to just keep working hard. And, and that was been us always Cowboys, uh, philosophy. I inherited some of that. I just, you know, it's not, a, it's not a permanent situation, right? But you got to figure out, okay, what, what's going to bail us out? What's going to, what's going to get us out of this slump and how can we build some momentum? So anyway, that was kind of where cowboy was with that deal. Well, let me ask some other news and notes here at the time, because some of this jumps off the page. And of course it's all about talent. And we've talked a lot about talent on this program before, but Butch Reed, who's, uh, in the company for a whole two weeks now. And obviously somebody that Watts had big plans for, or may would seem he's uh, supposed to be getting a big push or so we hear, and then he no shows the TV taping in Macon, Georgia and is let go. Yep. Do you remember this incident with Butch? Because it does feel like this would be something that is very disappointing to the cowboy. It was, and, and myself and Butch's friends, we thought, you know, it was a great break. It could be, it was going to be right. A great break for him. And I've always said, you know, I, I, I said here on the show when JYD left mid South UWF, uh, to go to WWE, uh, we had the guy to replace him right at, at, at our disposal. That's right. Butch Reed, Butch Reed was the guy because fans believed in him. They believed that he was a badass. Mm-hmm. They believed he could whip anybody's ass. He got in the ring with, mm-hmm. he had, a, he did great promos. Uh, and, uh, I think that that was. I think that was the, and, and eventually that's what happened and it worked out pretty decently. Uh, but uh, he was a baby face all along waiting to happen. And we just cowboy just didn't pull the trigger. That's when we went on that, that exhausting search to replace African-American JYD with another African-American. And I think that's where cowboy made a mistake. Uh, I'm not saying about pushing an African-American that has nothing to do with it, but it's like, uh, you can't just, it's nothing is, uh, it wasn't automatic, Conrad. That's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't this. Well, we'll get another black guy, and he'll get over like JYD. Well, bullshit. That ain't gonna happen, right? So uh, that's why I thought Butch was a solution. But we were all disappointed in that because Butch is at the stage of his career where he could use the paydays. Mm-hmm. He still looked great, uh, but uh, you know, issues at hand just to prevented him from focusing on on his business. And I. Uh, I always hated that for him. I like Butch. He was a good guy and a uh, hell of an athlete, tough son of a bitch. I re- remember so vividly the fight he had with John Nord. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
where they fought in Oklahoma City and they had the cowboy made them finish the fight in Tulsa. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Get it out of your system. And they were so their faces looked like hamburger. And they didn't want to get it out of their they they got it out of their system. <laughs> we got it out of our system the turnpike ride over to Tulsa from Oklahoma City to do T V. So uh it was interesting times to say the least. I, yeah, but just Butch's situation was disappointing to say the very least. You know, what's crazy is that's kind of the end of Butch on the mainstream, you know, as yeah. far as a worldwide platform, we don't really see him again. Now he does pop up in Memphis. He pops up on global, but you know, his time spent with the WWF or WCW on a national stage, that's really it. And it ends with him. No showing a TV taping. That's disappointing. Also disappointing is when you guys scatter talent and, and make an offer to give them their big break and they leverage it and go somewhere else that's what happened with damian demento he's offered a spot here by wcw instead he calls up titan and they snatch him up for a better deal and he has a very brief run up there that might have been a break for wcw yeah no kidding right i I mean i'm I'm not saying i don't i don't know damian that well be honest with you we don't either fans you know and uh but i didn't see star a star in him no uh, and, uh, but his gimmick was unique and different, but, uh, him going to WWE, I don't think moved the needle for either side. No, it's just to remind everybody, he comes in on October of 92. He's gone by October of 93. So cup of coffee in the big time as a friend of ours would say, yep. uh, Jim Garvin and Michael Hayes both get bought out of their contract. So no more free bird act strutting around here, uh, for a bit, but Michael Hayes winds up getting an announcer's contract. And I, I feel like that was something that you would have been an advocate for. I heard you guys do commentary together over the years, even back to the, the Watts territory days, right? Was this Michael's decision or was this just his way to keep a Jersey? Well, I, it, it's a good question. And it, and it probably a little bit of both, but, uh, I think it was uh, cowboy knew that Michael and I had chemistry and the storytelling was not, uh, you know, we had, I had gone through a lot of partners, which makes me sound like I'm hard to work with. I'm not just circumstances evolved to take somebody out of the game. Uh, that they didn't want to do it or they didn't like doing it or they weren't very good at it. All those things. It's a tougher job that people think, uh, you know, when you're doing ad lib television, spontaneous television, uh, you gotta, it's, there's a skill set involved in that deal. You know, cause the way I work is I don't know who's going to go over. I have a good idea. I'm not an idiot, but I don't know. I don't want to know all the details so that I can be spontaneous and real mm-hmm. when I see it on my screen. That's like, uh, that's why they do football games live. I think, you know, you, they can save some money by just taping the games and putting a couple guys in a booth and get after it, but that's not how it works. So Michael and I had good chemistry. He, he, he knew storylines. He knew how to get talent over. Oh yeah. I thought he and I had a, a good uh, thing going there, but I believe that, uh, Michael probably could see that the end of his, the Freebird era was about to come to a halt just out of age, injury, bad backs, this, that, and the other. And, uh, it freshened us up a little bit, but that was how that worked out. He was, a, he was an asset in the announce booth with that question. Well, let's talk about the other big, uh, departure of the time. There's a, a pretty big happening, some sort of falling out between Bill Watts and Paulie. And it's reported that Paul is essentially put on hiatus and his story with stone cold or what would be one day stone cold, stunning Steve Austin is going to come to an end. 
is it fair to say that Watts and Heyman were just oil and water or whatever yeah. that old phrase is? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're on the money. Uh, Paul's, you know, I used, I talked to, I said this story on this show a lot and it, it works in everyday life. Everybody, you know, it's more, it's more effective for you as an individual to, to close the deal, uh, uh, than anything I can think of. It's just a matter of, you know, you gotta, you gotta get to where you need to be. And, and Paul was had a hard time conversing at times. Mm. And he didn't take rejection real well. And that could be good. It could be, it could be a blessing. It could be a curse, but cowboy never hesitated, uh, in singing Paul's praises. I was a huge Heyman advocate. You know, I made him my partner on television and he was great. Still great. He's probably the most compelling character in uh, WWE programming right now. At least, and that's not knocking all some of us say, well, he knocked the roster. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm complimenting one guy. That doesn't mean everybody else is. We're going to put everybody else in the outhouse. It's just, I think it's that statement has proven true. Conrad Heyman's an amazing talent. Mm -hmm. Cowboy knew he was an amazing talent, but cowboy didn't have the patience to manage Paul. And, uh, Bill and I had a lot of talks about that. So he, he kept Paul on payroll for a while. But you knew that the end was near, you know, and Paul and Bill could have been such a great combination creatively, I think. Uh, but Bill didn't have the trust in Paul. So for whatever it was, it was not meant to be. And that's a really, really unfortunate. It was for me because I personally thought Heyman and I could have continued to improve our game and we would have been the best team in, on television and, and pro wrestling. That was a goal. So uh, it was hard. It was hard to see him leave. Cause I knew what kind of a talent that he was. Well, I want to just remind everybody that 1992 is a tough year everywhere, you know, here in WCW, which is what we're talking about today. There's lots of unrest amongst the talent to the point where Bill Watts is even going to set aside time to speak with the four highest paid wrestlers in the company because they've all got gripes and sort of the, the ringleader of this conversation and movement sort of expressing the frustrations of the talent is sting. Uh, but boy, on the other side, there's really a mass exodus from the WWF in 1992. Hogan's going to leave. Warrior's going to leave right at the first of the year. Flair's going to leave. Sid justice is going to leave. so many of the top guys who are there at the beginning of the year are not there at the end of the year. And it's because as we've said many times, well, money is down just across the board. It's not a unique right. to WCW problem is what I'm trying to drill in here. And I think, yeah. I think that even settles in on some of the boys, uh, here on the WCW side of things and bill Watts, because we've talked a lot about, you know, Brian Pillman's contract and how Watts wanted to right size it and said, basically, if Pillman didn't take this pay cut, he was going to have him lose every night. And Pillman sort of smirked and said, I'll be the highest paid jobber in the company or something like that. Guys, I could hear Brian saying that. <laughs> well, fast forward, they get together at the Omni and Bill Watts actually said this exact quote to Dave Meltzer. As soon as I got here, I told dusty, we've got to use that kid better. I'm tired of these giants who can't take any bumps. He's with us and everything's fine. We had a week or two at an impasse, but he's happy. He shook hands with me. We never had what you would call a fight or an argument. This is business. And as far as I'm concerned, it's in the past. And man, that's not a side that 
we fans hear about Bill Watts a lot. It feels like whenever people want to talk about Bill, they just gravitate straight to the negative and you just hear yeah. these quote unquote horror stories. But man, a guy saying, Hey man, we disagreed, but this is business. Let's let bygones be bygones and go make some money. That's gotta be a good sign, right? Yeah, I think it's sound of cowboy evolving as a manager in that era of wrestling. Yes. Because it was a whole it was an entirely different landscape and atmosphere than he had when he ran the whole show in mid south UWF. He had to fit into a corporate structure and play well with others. He didn't play well with others all the time, but that wasn't his nature. He wanted to do it his way or the highway type deal. But uh he was uh he got better in that respect. But, uh, I think the dive may have already been cast, you know, uh, talents. Anytime there's a change in creative leadership, paranoia runs deep. And as, uh, Jefferson airplane said, paranoia runs deep, deep in my heart. It will seep stops when you're always afraid the men come and take you away. That was cowboy. That was, uh, how that works. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't sing that because I'm probably losing viewers. I, and I, I really wish you would have. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, cowboy was starting to get the hang of it a little bit, but you know, you're dealing with a, people don't understand how hard it is when you're dealing in a fictional business, how to manage the paranoia and the insecurities, right? You know, it, you don't have to average 45 yards of punt. Conrad, you just have to be able to sell people that you can average 45 yards a punt. You ain't ever got to kick a football. And I think that's kind of where we are with that deal. It's just, uh, it was just a funny, how it evolved. It was kind of strange to me, but in any event, uh, things are on some fronts in WCW, things are getting better. And, uh, cowboy talents that cowboy had issues with were not personal issues, right? Just business. They were being paid more than they were contributing and that was the decision made by the decision maker who was bill watts at that time afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think paula while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year it is far less likely than it is on thirty thousand dollars a year right i would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight it was a hundred percent you need to make more money make smarter choices and build a better life afford anything wherever you listen how the structure was well bill's going to make some different decisions here he's going to eliminate the uh the top rope rule uh, which obviously was pretty controversial. And he's even going to shelve the light heavyweight division for a bit saying he needs to get it back on track and relaunch it. So he, he can understand, I mean, maybe some of these rules seem like a good idea, but as you said, maybe bill was evolving a little bit here. And then Watts is going to talk with Dave Meltzer a little bit more about Kip Fry's steroid policy, Jesse Ventura and Jake, the snake. Uh, but before we get into that, because we are going to take about a few minutes and talk about the whole quote, well, let's, let's talk about this quote that, uh, that was dropped on Meltzer by Mr. Watts. He said, if steroids are going to be banned, that the enforcement should be by punishing those who don't conform to the guidelines. He says, Kip Fry greatly overspent for Jesse Ventura. And he says it's proven by the fact that Ventura came in and the television ratings still went down. But he said he's happy with Ventura's efforts for trying to fit in. He said Kip should have been credited with signing Jake Roberts because Fry never would have got him if Roberts hadn't already left Titan. 
and he confirmed that he wouldn't agree to the guaranteed salary deal that Roberts and Fry were negotiating, but hadn't yet been signed once he replaced Kip. After much haggling, Roberts agreed to watch per match deal, which uh, Meltzer would say he felt like was a thousand dollars per show. I wouldn't doubt it. That sounds about right. But Roberts insisted on putting a maximum on the number of shows per year he'd work. Watts said that different wrestlers have different guarantees in regards to the new contracts and as far as dates. And some will be given minimum numbers and some will be given a maximum and others just have no guarantees at all. And the only major error in the reporting of Watts new contract structure is he said a thousand dollar per night wrestler who gives notice during his two month window at the end of his contract won't be bumped down to 350 per night. And the relocation clause is supposed to be because the new contracts are in effect. All wrestlers have to be in Atlanta or provide their own transportation into Atlanta. And the wrestlers who live in Charlotte or elsewhere will have to pay for their transportation to Atlanta for all road trips or shows in the Atlanta area and transportation home as all flights will be to and from Atlanta. So lots of moving parts here, but Watts is trying to cut the budget. It's been long said for, for years here that, uh, folks believe that Watts mission was to get this company to profit and maybe perhaps his income was even tied to how much money he saved the company. Did you hear that rumor that based on how much he cut, he might actually do better personally. Well, you hear the rumor. I don't know how true it was. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I suspect it's, I asked my doubts about that. Right. Frankly, he talked to me about everything. It feels like that would have come up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We got to do this because I can make another 50 grand or I, we got to do this. so I can make another hundred grand, whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I, I didn't hear that to be conclusive whatsoever. Well, boy, he, uh, he does not have a friend in Jake Roberts, of course, uh, to recap, cause we're going to be talking about Jake here a little bit from Jake's perspective. He negotiates with Kip has a great deal. Uh, in place, the biggest contract he's ever heard of in wrestling, at least at that point in his career, he winds up leaving Vince right after WrestleMania, perhaps doesn't do the best kind of business on the way out because he thinks, man, I got this big contract in front of me. And then by the time he gets down here, well, there's a new sheriff in town and, oh, you never signed that old deal. So that's not happening. Was, was the, was the Jake Roberts, Bill Watts experiment just doomed from the start here? Based on I don't that? think it's doomed from the start. But I knew that it was going to be challenging for Cowboy and Jake to communicate. You know, Jake was a smart guy, and he knew exactly what he felt like he was worth. Cowboy disagreed. So now we're back to regular business. Can you? Can we get past this impasse and, and get on the same page and do business? And that's what always concerned me. You know, it seemed like it was hard sometimes to, for those two to communicate. And I think that went all the way back to Mid-South. You know, uh. Bill was a big proponent of Jake's dad. who was Cowboys, one of his agents, lead agent, I'd say. And, uh, so he, Bill was around, uh, Jake since Jake was a kid, essentially, Only Jake did some refereeing and did some things like that. So, uh, I don't know that they ever got along great. You know, Jake was a self, he's a self thinker. He, he had his own visions and, and I think that he's got, he's got one of the best minds in wrestling, quite frankly. Uh, and I still do. Yeah. He's still, he's still, those instincts just don't go away. That's right. They don't fade away. It's like that commercial on the M and M. So that kid 
that when an Eminem becomes a ghost, they don't, they don't, that don't happen. Uh, that's not real. So <laughs> anyhow, uh, but I, 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 it was, if it had worked, it would have been great. Cause it would have been a, give us our top heel provided fill that spot. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and I, you and I are on the same page in this top heels are hard to develop, yep. but they're, they're, they're essential. It's not, well, you can do okay. No, they're essential. Yeah. Top, top heels make the business turn. They stir the drink. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. So let's talk about something else. That's got everybody stirred up this transportation piece. Hey man, we're, we're, we're traveling people in and out of Atlanta. So if you don't live in Atlanta, we're not covering your hotel and, and car and flight to Atlanta. Uh, if we're running shows in Atlanta, well, take your ass home because we're not covering any of those costs. And if we're flying somewhere, we're booking your flight out of Atlanta. So you're paying for your first leg on your, he's really drawing a line in the sand and essentially making this for lack of a better word, a territory and home right. base is Atlanta. Right. That's that, what his thought, thought process was. Uh, it's a territory. Mm-hmm. It's just a damn big territory potentially with TV, the TVS overlay. But, uh, yeah, he, he was, a, a territory and it was hard because you're mixing metaphors, so to speak. You're mixing the fruit, apples and oranges. They're different. Uh, they have a lot of the same similarities, but I had mixed emotions about that, that, that situation, but I understand the reasoning for it to hold down costs, uh, to, to improve efficiency. And, uh, and there was a bitch in the moment about it. No doubt. There's always anytime there's any change in wrestling. It's a damnedest business. Anytime there's any change in wrestling, uh, people panic or they second guess they already have it figured out you know it's like a kid of that uh, statement i made about john moxley being austin-esque i thought his game uh was austin-esque austin was a middle linebacker a- attitude he was straight ahead hit you in the face hit me in the face if you want but this is how we're going to play this game yeah and that's kind of moxley's mo so I'm not saying Moxley is going to be the next stone cold. I wish, I wish he is. I hope he is. Everybody does. Yeah. But his, his, his game plan and his aggression, uh, and his striking, uh, reminded me of a uh, stone cold. So then people took exceptions. I mentioned earlier and thought that was, a, you know, the ultimate insult. Yeah. You gotta be kidding me. No, it's a compliment. Well, check this out. Um, the other thing that he's doing besides changing the way the travels handled again, the cut costs, uh, he confirmed all new contracts will be on a time period, not the wrestler where they have the option to terminate the contract provided the company gives the wrestler 30 days notice in writing, meaning wrestlers who sign multiple year deals will come up for renewal every four months. If you're on a yearly contract, it's going to come up every three months. And Watts admits this gives the wrestlers no security. And he claims to Meltzer, there's no security factor in any sports quote. If you want security, go work in a bank. You have the choice. You can make big money or you can have security, but there's never been a time in America when you can get both. And he's not done there. He's also confirming to Meltzer. We get it. We're getting rid of our medical coverage. So if you get hurt because you were at work and it's a work related injury, well, that's on you. Our workman's pot workman's, uh, comp policy. The premium is over 400 grand this year. We can say 400 grand by cutting that. So quote, we're doing away with it. 
if they want insurance, they make enough money. They can go get their own. Yeah. That see, that's a defiant way of answering the question. I, that's bill. Yeah. Uh, flexing his muscles. Mm-hmm. And that's just the old restaurant. Uh, you're going to do it my way or you're going to be on the highway. And, uh, but I, I, I don't agree whatsoever. No, if you're hurt at work, yes, the company you're working for should pay for your, your hospital or your doctor visit or whatever doctor visits surgery, whatever it is. If you're hurt at work, uh, if you get hurt in a bar fight. That's, that's on, on you. you. Yeah. It shouldn't be that simple. I agree. So if you get hurt in the ring, we're going to take care of you. And, uh, you know, think about this way, Conrad, you're a wrestler and you go home and you tell your wife, the mother of your, your children that you are, we don't have any medical coverage anymore for, for me. Uh, and you got to explain to your wife where everything's going to be okay, which is bullshit. Everything might not, everything might not be okay under these circumstances. So anyway, I, I, uh, didn't agree with that one. I thought that was a mistake. The mistake, the, the reason obviously was what we've discussed lower overhead and it, it, sometimes you can lower the overhead in the wrong areas where it becomes a more of a negative than a positive. The, uh, the idea of a union comes up with this Dave Meltzer, Bill Watts conversation. And Watts says it's awfully hard to unionize in a buyer's market. I don't give a damn if they do it or not. Most of them don't have the gumption to follow through. The only thing I've seen unions ever do is cut themselves into a piece of the pie. And here we are 30 years later, still no union. Uh, so it's hard to say that, uh, maybe he wasn't uh, clairvoyant there. He also talks about the hiring of his son, which boy, everybody has been critical of at different times. And bill had this to say, my son's contract is the same as everyone else's. I already showed some guys his contract this week. Most second generation wrestlers have either turned out to be very good or very bad for the business. Few are in between. And then Watts will compare his son in the way that Dory Funk Jr. was being given a big push when he first broke in with a few years of wrestling. He was doing 60 minute draws with Gene Kaniski and Vern Gagne before he was actually at their level. Yeah, you got uh, that, Conrad, one point here. He's comparing his son to Dory Jr. Yeah. Really? That's a big deal. Yeah. Well, first of all, Eric wasn't ready for prime time. I, I think the world of Eric. I've known him since he was a little boy. And, uh, but he needed, in all fairness to him, he needed more time. Yeah. He needed more, more season. And to think that Cowboy with that TVS uh, muscle couldn't have gotten uh, a Eric booked in a territory or other areas to get him ring time. That's what he needed. Eric was a real good athlete. He was a quarterback at Louisville. Yeah. He, he said, know. he said this, he said, we need youth. He's been wrestling since junior high. He's graduated college in four years. He was a starting quarterback in a major division one program. And he's just nine hours short of his masters. He's six foot five, 260 pounds. And he's a damn good kid. If someone wants to mess with him, they'll find he can hold his own that way as well. When Ole's kid gets out of college, we're going to use him too. I agree with you putting Eric Watts in the same sentence as Dory fuck junior is a little crazy, but boy, he loves his kid and he's trying to sell it hard even here to Meltzer. But if I'm honest with you, the craziest thing about this whole conversation is not the discussion of travel or lack of security with contracts or taking away the medical or slamming Ventura or Roberts or none of that. 
it's the idea that Bill Watts is talking to Dave Meltzer. That just doesn't, that feels weird to me. I I don't imagine the cowboy being like, let's call up the dirt cheap guys. That's just hard for me to imagine. Yeah. I think Meltzer was the aggressor in that deal. And if cowboy had a point to make, he could always get a hold of Meltzer. That's true. And, uh, so, uh, uh, I, I, I know that some of the guys became uneasy when they found out that cowboy was talking to the observer yeah. as much as he apparently was, uh, I don't know how much that would be. I don't know, but, uh, the, a lot of the talents were uneasy that that was occurring. Well, some of the talent apparently are uneasy with what's going on here Two in particular, Dr. Death and Terry Gordy, they're going to drop the tag titles to Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham here at center stage. They go 20 minutes in a, in a pretty good match here, but there's been a big push for doc and Gordy. And now we dropped the belts kind of out of nowhere. It seems, were they ready to go back to Japan? Have they had enough of yeah. this American experiment? Yeah. They wanted less work and they wanted, they got big money for going to Japan. They were supremely over, uh, but it was a disappointment. You know, I always thought that they were one of the best tag teams I ever saw. I still believe that all these years later. And, uh, I was salivating over the prospects of matches with doc and Gordy versus the Steiners, for example, doom, you know, there are a lot of teams that, uh, doc and Gordy could have worked with and had great matches. So it was disappointing that they were leaving, but it wasn't a total surprise. I mean, I think Japan was still their first home after all those years. Uh, they made great money. They changed their lifestyle. Thanks to Mr. Uh, Bob and Inoki's money. Cause they worked for both companies at, at one time, uh, different times, but they worked for both companies. So, uh, it was disappointing that they left because we just, we lost, like I said, to me, it was like, we're losing the best tag team in the business. Mm-hmm. They're durable. They're strong. They can be heels. They could be baby faces They're They have great chemistry and it, it made the product better. The more doc and Gordy we had on television. I think the better our television was. So we talked about Barry Windham winning a tag title here, but he's also, according to the observer, going to be working as an assistant booker to dusty Dusty's going to be spending more time monitoring the house shows. So Barry is going to work as his support in a way where maybe JJ Dillon did that once upon a time, but Barry Windham as a creative mind is not something I've ever heard much about. What'd you think of this? Well, I was willing to give it a try. It made Dusty more efficient and more effective. Uh, and it taught somebody like Barry, a young guy that's been in the business all his life, son of blackjack Melgan, et cetera, et cetera. Then, uh, I'm all for it as I, I was all for it. Uh, if it makes dusty better and dusty gets, finds that magic again, that sprinkle that magic dust on his, uh, creative. And, uh, it, I thought it was uh, fine, but, but look. I love Barry Wyndham at one time was probably one of the top four or five workers in the entire world. Uh, but golly, he just, uh, he wasn't JJ JJ's role with the horsemen and trying to herd the chickens in the Crockett era was nothing short of extraordinary, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. So, uh, JJ's, a that was a very, very valuable asset. So I, I was hoping that would work Connie. I really did, but. Uh, you know, Barry had never been in that role before. So it's all wait and see. Bruno San Martino is going to pop up, do a little bit of uh, color commentary with uh, Tony Schiavone and 
Uh, also do an empty arena interview with Tony Schiavone that Meltzer was really high on and said it was one of the best baby face promos, but it's kind of interesting to see Bruno, a WWF guy here in WCW on yep. the hotline. You're going to be hinting that Paul E might be brought back to manage Pillman and Austin as a tag team. And maybe that Austin would get a push as a Ric Flair clone. Meltzer had this to say big mistake because Steve Austin is in no way, shape or form. Ric Flair Flair's still an active wrestler. So at best he'll look like a cheap copycat, but he doesn't have a buddy Landale personality where he can get the right kind of heat for being a copycat of a successful main eventer. I don't think anybody has ever written that ever since that Steve Austin doesn't have a buddy Landale personality. My goodness. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, they're two different people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Austin are going to become one of the biggest stars, if not the biggest star ever. in wrestling yeah. ever, yeah. ever. Uh, you know, I, I always had high, had high hopes for Steve, but not as a Ric Flair clone, the clone thing in wrestling where promoters, like the example, uh, was we talked earlier about Butch Reed. Well, we can make, we can fix this JYD leaving very easily. Let's just hire a, another muscular black guy. Put him in that, cast him in, or book him, whatever, in that role, and everything's going to be okay. And that's just silly. It's not. It's just silly. We tried George Wells. We tried Brickhouse Brown, uh, and among others, I can't even think of off the top of my head. But none of them worked. And I, and again, the answer was right there under our nose, in the, in Hacksaw Butch Reed. So uh, it's just you, you can't the cloning thing. I remember when Jimmy Snooker left WWWF, I think they brought a guy named Sifi Offy, uh, another uh, island guy. And he looked a lot like uh, Snooker, which is a, I didn't think it was a plus because everybody could see what was happening. They're just trying to play Snooker with a Snooker lookalike. Mm-hmm. And, and the fans are smart, man, they're, they're, especially today. Uh, you know, sometimes I read things that are, I think are somewhat ridiculous. And I understand, too, that people make these comments. And that, uh, that, uh, and that Moxie thing, I got, uh, this, all this negative feedback and they made sure I was tagged in so I could make sure I saw some of the shit and, but I, I can promise you, I didn't spend one minute of my life researching it. Mm-hmm. It's how I felt. It was an opinion. And, uh, I don't think I have to explain my opinions on my Twitter at JRSBBQ or here on this show. No, this, this is our, this is us. Yeah. We're taught we're, this is what we do. And, and so anyway, it was, uh, it was just, the business has changed in a lot of ways, but in some ways it's never changed and probably never will. A couple more news and notes here. Meltzer would write, I believe six wrestlers, including sting, Rick Rude, and Ron Simmons were all fined a thousand dollars for their work, not being up to par. My goodness fine for a bad match. How about that? Uh, they decide to, uh, try to placate the Steiners or bill does. And he puts the TV title on Scott Steiner. He hasn't beat Ricky steamboat. And at the next TV taping at center stage, he gets to uh, go to a time limit draw with Steve Austin over the TV title. But the next day they have a meeting with bill Watts which Meltzer says ends in a less than amicable situation with them storming out of his office quote, as the story goes, they wanted to negotiate parts of the contract they were offered and Watts wouldn't negotiate. So it's sort of a general consensus amongst the talent. Well, the Steiners are leaving. 
they're going to work for Vince. But what the hell? Bill just gave one of them the TV title. This is odd, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think Bill just thought that they had a deal. Had a deal in place signed by all involved parties. So now we want to come back and renegotiate. And I think he, I don't know how the, I don't know how that meeting went. I wasn't in it. Right. But, but, uh, I can tell you that, you know, he, he was not, he, he thought he was getting backed into a corner. Uh, and I don't think he was, the guy just wanted more money. That's nothing unusual. That happens every day, every day. Right. And, and wrestling. So, uh, I, uh, it was regretful that that occurred because all those guys involved in that meeting are good guys. Mm-hmm. Sting's one of the best guys in the world for my, for my money. I'm so happy he's in AEW when we get the chance to see him and he's having a blast. I can tell you that right now. He's a, we talk at every TV that he's there and I'm there every TV, just catch up. How you doing? How's the family, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, uh, he's. He's still pretty much a phenomenon to me that he he'll have the he has the balls to try to do the things he does yeah. at his age. I, I total respect for Steve Board. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting here is one of the things Bill was trying to do is make the Omni the Madison Square Garden of the South, and of course, MSG was a regular monthly stop for the WWF. So we're going to try to run it here every month. Well, in August we had sixty seven hundred fans there. By September, we're down to 1600. So seeing the writing on the wall, Watts just cancels the October show. Uh, since well, we don't, it was, it was a big money loser, Connie. Yeah. It was a huge money loser in that respect. So, uh, I think that was the deal. You know, you're looking to save money and to become more cost efficient and cost aware. Uh, if you could save yourself several thousand dollars. Uh, by not running the Omni and, and the staffing and the rent, all these things, uh, then you might, that might be something we'd all do, but to canceling the event was a little drastic. Our Madison square garden of the South kind of went South. So Jim, let's jump right back into it. Uh, we got Tony Atlas coming in, in the butch Reed spot. I know you had a lot of history with butch, but what'd you think of Tony Atlas taking a run here? Uh, nice guy, great body. It's time to come. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know how to say it without being coarse or negative, but I mean, he, Tony was a great attraction at one time. There's no doubt. He drew a lot of money, but I think those days had passed it. Right. But again, go cowboy went back to that old philosophy. Well, we had butch coming in. He's a big muscular black man. How do we solve this issue? Oh, I know. Let's just find another big muscular black man and hire him. Yeah. And that's not always, as I said earlier, that's not always the, the solution. I don't recall that working too often. No, you try to clone somebody. No, but especially in today's world, fans are too smart and they know what they want. And I think that's a good thing. Well, what we did want is we wanted Greg Valentine to do the job for sting. He walks out on Monday at four o'clock rather than doing that job for sting. Quote, it isn't that Valentine refused to do the job as much as he got the new booking sheet and saw his name wasn't on it for any of the dates. So he decided why do the job when it appeared he was finished up either way. And Meltzer would say Dick Slater will also be gone within a few weeks. Boy, that feels like a tactical error. Hey, uh, you're not booked, but why don't you go lose on TV? Well, 
Maybe we tell him he's not booked after he loses on TV. Just thinking out loud here. Yeah. Probably in hindsight, that's probably the exact solution. Yeah. Uh, but to be honest with you had Valentine and Slater's days come and gone. Of course. Yes. So did we lose two? We lost. Hey, look, those guys are hall of fame level guys. No doubt. Long careers, just all that stuff. I'm not knocking them at all. Uh, uh, two of the toughest guys, uh, in, in wrestling over the years. Of course, uh, Slater had that Eddie Graham education, which is hard to replicate as a matter of fact, impossible. Uh, and, and Dickie and, and watch like Dickie Watson Slater was Watson's booker at one time. Yeah. And he brought in dark journey and that was a revolutionary for a white guy to show affection to a black woman or a black woman to show affection to a white guy. It just wasn't today. It's not, it's nothing, not a big deal. Nothing. Yeah. Which is good. Yes. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. uh, but Slater and cowboy collaborated on that deal. And, and, uh, it was a bold move, but I think, you know, in all due respect to the late Dickie Slater, uh, his best days were behind him and cowboy was just trying to get guys that he was familiar with. And, you know, my theory has always been and this and part of cowboys too. We, you've got to have some of these veterans on your roster that can help teach the younger guys slow down, not now, whatever, you know, those type of communications. And that's, that's kind of what I think Watts's logic was. I can't think of anything. He's not going to rejuvenate. You can't, he didn't have a fountain of youth. And that, that's kind of what, how I looked at it is that, you know, I, I like both guys that, you know, you knew that when they're on their game, they could have a great match with anybody they wanted to, but those were lessening. And so I don't know how big of a deal that was that, uh, the hammer left, uh, he didn't want to be there. Obviously, you know, nobody wants to sit down and communicate. They just want to sit down and confront and that shit just don't work. And it certainly doesn't work in today's world. Well, I'll tell you what else is, uh, a little interesting. It's hard for me to wrap my head around how this company is having trouble with maybe we've got our, our lowest ratings in 20 years. We're, we're, we're doing so poorly at the houses we're canceling shows, but then we get to Halloween havoc and it actually is a financial success by comparison. The great American bass show did 80,000 buys on pay-per-view. This show does 140,000 buys. That's unbelievable. Meltzer would say this. Things are really bad. It's not just Halloween havoc. It's not just TV ratings, hitting record lows. It's not just WWF canceling house shows left and right. It's not just WCW, not canceling house shows, but not drawing any fans. What's bad is the wrestling business is in a tunnel and there's no sign of light at the end. WCW is in a state of systematic destruction. Real wrestling talent is being exchanged with talent that doesn't have the experience or seasoning, or in some cases, even the talent to hang in a major league organization. He would continue Halloween havoc. Wasn't the worst pay-per-view in history. Although it was amongst the worst, the WWF has put on shows that were terrible from start to finish. Two of them were WrestleMania's. This show was only terrible from the middle to the finish. The first half was actually good. Either way, he's talking about how he doesn't think, even though this show did a decent number of buys, it's just not sustainable. Uh, we're going to talk about the pay-per-view itself, but. Man, there's some mixed messaging here. Is it not where like on the one hand, things are down, houses are down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
but then we're doing almost twice the buys we did for the big pay-per-view earlier in the year. That's hard for me to wrap my head around. Well, we finally had something they wanted to see the Halloween havoc concept, uh, and the gimmickness of it. Yes. Apparently was intriguing enough to the audience to give it a shot. Uh, same roster, same guys. This moved around different places. Right. And that's, that's the art of good booking. You find the role that your talent are best suited to do. And you give them that, you put them in the game, run, run the plays that they are good at. So, uh, it was, a, it was just a, I think the gimmick, the Halloween havoc theme probably did as much to help that show as, as anything curiosity bottom line. Let's, uh, let's talk about the house. We got 7,000 fans here. Um, 80,000 is, is roughly what the house is. Meltzer would say it's very similar to what the WWF drew at the spectrum the previous weekend. It's the largest gate of the year for WCW up to this point. It was uh, war games down in Jacksonville that did $72,000. And, uh, we get started with Tom Zink and Shane Douglas and Johnny Gunn. And a six man taking on Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, and Michael Hayes. It gets two and a half stars. The Meltzer hates, uh, not the Meltzer, but the crowd hates the finish. According to Meltzer, he would call it a well-paced opener. And really the four guys who could work dominated the time, but there was nothing spectacular or out of ordinary for the match gun made the hot tag and they did a six way before hitting the finish. So. You got some talented guys in there, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Shane Douglas. There's some real talent in there, but this just kind of feels thrown together for me. Of course, Johnny Gunn, uh, for some of our younger listeners is the future Salvatore sincere. You would see as a enhancement talent on the WWF. All right. But you got, listen, this is the frustrating thing about WCW in this era. Maybe it's not the best presentation, but boy, you got some good talent in there. Yeah, uh, I thought so. I, I agree with you. The thing about you said that the, the, the mat regarding the match, the match had no build, but so much didn't have a build. Yeah. Cowboy was experimenting with talents to see who would jump up and play big when given the opportunity. And, uh, so that six man was kind of a showcase for some of these cats. Uh, certainly didn't need to showcase, uh, Arn and Bobby, Michael, there's proven commodities. And they're the three kind of heels that you could you know, the young guys could learn from. So I thought the match was probably better than Meltzer, uh, did it was cold, but a lot of things are cold. And when you get in a situation like that, the talents know they're going into a cold match. It's up to them to get it started right. And to tell a compelling story until it's time to go to the house. Well, next up, we got Ricky steamboat pinning Brian Pillman. 10 minutes and 35 seconds, three and a quarter stars. Uh, Meltzer would say the action was very good, but it seems like they were just getting into it. When they went to the finish, these guys could have used a little more time to do a pay-per-view quality match. Still at this point, the show was pretty good. Again, steamboat and Pillman two hall of fame performers. As a reminder, this is before Brian Pillman has the accident. So he's still very much flying Brian here and on paper, man, this is loaded so far with talent. We're just two matches in and they're all over us here. Yeah. This feels like this should be a good show. Yeah. I was just kind of waiting for somebody to get over and, right. uh, and become that star you're wanting to build around. Uh, but, uh, it was a good showcase of these guys. 
that sixth man was a good showcase for them. They got, they got TV time, uh, you know, 11 minutes. Could they have used more time? Probably. Yeah. Uh, certainly Pillman and steamboat could have used more than 10 minutes. Right. You know, I just, I was been shooting for probably 12 or 15 at least maybe 15. And, uh, so they could tell a more, uh, thorough story, but I, I enjoyed that match, uh, with, with the dragon and, and Brian, two great workers and that who, and Brian loved the opportunities to work with these greats because it made him raise his game. And as you said, Conrad, very timely, uh, he, he, Brian was a hundred percent healthy at this point in time. Yes. So, so, uh, and when he was, when he was healthy and motivated, Brian was extraordinary. So we're trying to do a, a segment next where Missy Hyatt is going to have Bill Watts out and they're going to talk about who are going to be the referees for the Rick Rude Masahiro Chono match. And, uh, it comes out to be Ken Suki Sasaki. He's going to be the referee, which Meltzer says was pretty, uh, anticlimactic and not very dramatic at all. And then who, he, who, did he suggest anybody or just identify a problem? He identified a problem. There you go. Next. Bill Watts came out for his quote unquote, get himself over to the marks interview to announce that Terry Gordy was suspended for a contract violation and is now out of the tag title match. Announcer would say Gordy actually quit the promotion that morning. He's going to be replaced by Steve Austin. And we quote unquote, just found out it'll be Harley race and Sasaki as the referees. And Watts said there had been a court injunction rude. Wouldn't wrestle twice. They are allowing big van Vader to wrestle Nikita Koloff to defend Rude's U S title for him. And Meltzer would say this was handled poorly because the storyline made no sense. And if in storyline, they were going to use this excuse, the heel should have at least the last two weekends before the show hinted that they were going to court to try to block it. If they wanted to advertise rude working twice and wanted to have Vader destroy Koloff to make the fans forget about him and set up Vader and rude fruiting feuding for the U S belt. But they didn't have a clue how to logically get there. So it seems like they just came up with this idea off the top of their head. It is a little silly. It's Rick Rude's title, but we're going to have big van Vader defended for him. What? Yeah. That's a territory type thing. It's, it's, uh, it, it, and the only way that works is for the match to be the culmination of a program and a storyline that had all these elements in it. This did not. Right. Uh, so it was a cold, a cold match. And, uh, but the theory of going with rude invader at some point in time was intriguing to me as a, as a broadcaster. Let's, um, let's also mention that Meltzer liked the Vader match with Koloff better than he thought he would have rude with Koloff, but he says it destroys the title credibility when he's not defending his own title. Uh, it gets two and three quarter stars. They got almost 12 minutes, 11 minutes and 53 seconds. Vader gets the win with a power bomb. And really this is one of the last major matches for Nikita in the company. Uh, he uh, takes a clothesline from Vader and apparently herniates a disc, which I think effectively ends his career. Um, I always loved the Nikita Koloff presentation and the Jim Crockett promotions era, but it does feel like this WCW version. It doesn't quite get, he doesn't get his feet underneath him, his legs underneath him. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Dusty really did a great job of booking Nikita in the Crockett era, as you alluded to, Yeah, uh, and made Nikita a star, uh, cowboy didn't have the confidence in uh, and Nikita that Dusty did. And I think it showed in the booking and the creative. 
it's it's kind of sad to think about this is his swan song in wrestling y'all so if you're a big nikita fan you grew up on nikita go watch this one again not a bad match with vader but unfortunately suffers an injury here and that's all she wrote it's it's pretty sad really when you think about it in this episode we've talked about hey that's kind of the end for butch reed on a major stage and this is nikita's last match it does feel like the end of an era here in 1992 in more ways than one Yep. Next up, it's uh, Dusty or Dusty's son, Dustin, tagging with uh, Barry Windham. They're going to retain their tag straps, going to a draw with a pair of Steve Williams. It's Dr. Death and Stunning Steve. You know, I know we're doing what we can to, uh, I mean, it's disappointing. Gordy's not here. It probably isn't the same match. Austin plugs right in, though. And 30 minutes, a draw. Three stars. I don't know how much I like a draw on pay-per-view, but if you like in-ring action, this is probably about as good as it's going to get in this era. Yeah, it's great. I, I enjoyed it. I thought uh, two things here. Uh, one is that uh, Wyndham and Dustin were a hell of a team. Yes. Uh, and Austin just showed that he could be plugged into any almost any scenario and be successful. Yes. So it showed that he had some. He had it. Uh, and, uh, I'm sure that, uh, that Steve, uh, Austin, uh, helped doc a lot. Cause, uh, you know, there's certain things that doc did really, really well. And certain things you just didn't want to take it down that road. And, uh, I like, uh, I like that match a lot. 30 minutes. I don't know. Right. I, you know, I'm a, I like those iron man like matches. I like matches that have time limits. Uh, I like as much structure as you can get into a, a match and make it more sporting event feel. And, uh, I know that for years, I remember having a meeting with Pat Patterson and Vince and maybe Bruce might've been there. I think he was probably was. And myself and Jerry Briscoe about time limits, uh, and matches had no time limits. Right. And it, 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 to me, it was illogical. But, uh, there's where you get into the pro wrestling side of a, of a mindset that Vince did not buy into. He is a sports entertainment guy. So it didn't, we don't need time limits. And, uh, I disagree with that philosophy, but Hey, look, he, he wrote the checks, signed them, they cash well. And so what the hell I, I wasn't going to, I, my state stated my case. I didn't want to die on that hill for sure, but it just didn't make any sense how you can have a match and not have a time limit just it's a sporting event or at least that's what you want people to think right well i I find it curious that we we do a draw here it feels like if if steve austin is the last minute replacement he could take the fall maybe he wasn't ready for it but that's not the call that's made next up we get an apollo dangerously medusa skit it's actually going to start out with harley race and vader doing an interview and then paul comes out thanks him for defending the title for rude and said he'd give them half the payoff, which, uh, if they let him go any longer would have turned race invader face because they didn't get the entire payoff. But instead Medusa came out and after too brief of a buildup, according to Meltzer is fired by Polly dangerously, who then called her a bitch and hooker. And Polly continued with the most heavy handed put downs on women imaginable. Medusa, who by this time was close to being the most over baby face in the building, then kicked Paul in the head and Paul claimed his word was his contract and he could beat her with one hand tied behind his back angle alert. Yes. <laughs> and then Paul, e just goes nuts on the mic 
Of course, these days you couldn't really put down Medusa the way he was, but this is, this is old school wrestling stuff here. Is it not? Oh yeah. 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 It's a throwback and it was a different era. A po- political correctness wasn't in vogue as it is today. You know, uh, it's just, you know, I can give you a chapter and verse and a lot of illustrations that, well, that you shouldn't have said that Jr. type deal. Uh, but it's this different society. You got to learn to play with the rules of the game and there are new rules. And, and, but back then it was the wild west still in a lot of ways. Right. Well, next up is, uh, well, a match that Meltzer says destroyed the NWA title in the United States and it destroyed the show. It's Rick Rude and Masahiro Chono, two hall of fame performers who went 22 minutes and 33 seconds for the NWA title. Meltzer says the only positive is that it wasn't televised in Japan. After a coin flip, Harley race was chosen, chosen to be the referee in the ring Sasaki on the outside of the ring. And he called it the most screwed up match imaginable. Uh, it's going to be a DQ finish and Meltzer just called it a disaster in every way. One of the worst title matches ever on pay-per-view. He gave it negative three stars. When you're seeing a match like this happen live, and I'm sure you've been in this spot before Jim, where you got two really great performers on paper. Everybody loves Rick rude. Everybody knows what a star Masahiro Chono and what a talent he is. You got Harley racing there. It feels like we've got everything we need, including the NWA title to have a good match, to tell a great story. And then it just dies. Yeah. What a good match as an announcer. This has to be the toughest job possible. You've got to try to make chicken salad. Talk me through just from an announcer perspective. What do you try to do in situations like this to save face for the guys and the company? Well, you maintain your enthusiasm. You maintain the storytelling concepts for sure. You don't dis- you don't, you don't let your mind wander because boy, this match sucks. Right. And, uh, and start phoning shit in. That's not the way you do, the way you do business. Uh, but it's challenging. It's not the first time I, I called a stinker and, uh, you, you can't make, you, you, sometimes you can only go so far with something Conrad, right. you know, it's just, it's what it is. You just hope to get through the sum of bits. Can we just, can we cut some time and move on or whatever? I don't believe I, I, I'm, I think Dave's a little knee jerk, maybe in hindsight on it destroyed the NWA title. Uh, I think maybe it killed the show. It just basically says, shows you, uh, uh, day's allegiance to Japan. Yeah. He's a big, she was a big Chono was the guy and one of the guys and Dave felt he was not booked right. So whether that's true or that is, that's just Dave's opinion. I don't have any problem with him expressing his opinion. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think it killed the show, but the show was on life support to start with. Let, let me ask you about an announcing snafu here. Maybe. This is directly from the observer to make matters worse. Ross and Ventura blew the announcing here because they (laughs) never explained and exclaimed when Chono put on various submission holds. So it seemed like it was all dead time and to make it even worse early in the match, when Chono put on a submission, Ventura made the comment about how rude would never submit and Ross, who I guess didn't want to disagree on air agreed with him. 
which basically told the viewers that all the submissions were a waste of time because a guy like rude would never submit. And once it's established that the quote unquote, big stars are never going to submit, you've killed the entire concept of submission holds. So talk to me about this. Is this just a snafu by Ventura to say, oh, he'd never submit. Well, it's a typical baby. Rude was the hometown guy. He had the hometown, uh, uniform on. He wasn't going back to Japan. Uh, he was staying with, with WCW. So you always take care of those guys, right? I can't tell you how many times I said, uh, that stone cold would never submit to us to a submission maneuver. Right. And he remembered in WrestleMania 13, he did lost via submission because he passed out of blood loss. That's right. So there's ways to handle that. I disagree with Dave on that deal. I, I think I've broadcast more matches than Dave. That's fair. And, uh, uh, so, I, but I do understand his point, but we're trying to maintain some, some equity in uh, rude. And I don't know why we booked Chono and rude to begin with. Right. They, if they were going to do that, then Chono should have had six or eight weeks of vignettes or VTRs or highlights or something packages to introduce the audience to, to who he was because he was a great star. Yes. He was a great star. Yes. Obviously with Davey was, and I, I agree with that by the way, but, uh, you know, I, I think the Japanese influence to Meltzer was pretty prevalent in those statements. Next up, we got Ron Simmons working with barbarian. Ron's going to get the win in 12 minutes and 41 seconds. As a reminder, he is your WCW world champ. Now he's not going on last, but he's the world champ. And we've worked with barbarian cactus, Jack helping as well to try to make him a credible threat. All right. And Meltzer would say there may be good reason behind pushing Simmons as one of the top baby faces, but boy, is it painfully obvious? He's no world champion. He wasn't ready, Conrad. He wasn't ready. Yeah. He wasn't ready. In my opinion, Meltzer says the work was sloppy. The crowd was dead and, uh, it's one of the worst title matches ever on pay-per-view quarter star. It's, uh, it's downhill, man. After this Masahiro Chono match, and maybe that killed the crowd. Maybe Ron was fighting an uphill battle after that match. But still, you got two back-to-back title matches here, one for the NWA strap, one for the WCW strap. They just feel less than. And next up is an interview with Bruno San Martino. Well, Eric, Conrad, uh, one thing. You find out real quickly. Yeah. Uh, you do, Is there mileage in Ron at that time as a champion? The, 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 the bloom was off the rose, shall we say? Yeah. After Baltimore and after the big, uh, big, uh, reception in the CNN center, things just never clicked. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's Ron's fault. Uh, you know, it partially, you gotta be in the talent to some degree, uh, but not totally, uh, barbarian was not the right. If, if, if Ron was going to wrestle barbarian, he should have beat him quickly. Yes. And it's and, uh, and definitively. Yes. Uh, but that's not, they had a match Yeah, they did. And, and it didn't do uh, Ron any favors because barbarian wasn't prepared for a viable challenger role. So he was just a big body, good looking, you know, big, powerful looking son of a gun that could, could logically make Simmons sell, which he did, but maybe he sold too much. Uh, I just, I didn't like the, uh, I didn't like that, that mat, the booking of that match. I, I didn't think it was very good. Uh, I just. It just chemistry yeah. styles make matches when you got two big stallions like that, something's got to give somebody's got to sell for a good while. 
but uh, the the match length is supremely important and uh we uh put too much on those guys they weren't ready for that 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 scenario so i'll agree with you on that deal uh i love ron simmons he, yeah still a great great friend good good a hell of a good man he did a great job for when we brought him to wwe as a leader of the nation of domination but he's uh it just we were trying to push things along too fast and and, and matches and titles champions were just quite not getting the chance to really develop and get over more importantly so all right so let's jump to our main event here we go the reason we're here spin the deal or sorry spin the wheel make the deal <sighs> lots of options here so this is a fun concept right we don't know what this match could be we're going to find right. out at the pay-per-view so right. they sold us on the fact that this could be a texas bull rope match this could be a russian chain match this could be a dog collar match it could be an i quit match what if it's a barbed wire match what if it's a cage match what if there's lumberjacks with belts? What if it's first blood? What if it's Texas death? What if it's the Prince of darkness? I don't even know what that is. I don't either. What if it's the spinner's choice or Prince of darkness may have been a blindfold match. There you go. It might've been a blindfold match. Cause cowboy had a blindfold match, uh, back in the Superdome era. And, uh, it was called a Jim Bowie death match or something along those lines. But the guys were, uh, blindfolded yeah not a beautiful artistic success i just looked it up you're exactly right it's uh it's a blindfold match uh yeah. maybe that would have been the only option worse than what it wound up being a coal miners glove match <laughs> i think i would have rather seen almost anything else on the list but that Meltzer would say sting pin jake roberts in 10 minutes and 34 seconds of a coal miners glove match in the spin the wheel deal Jake is a tremendous personality, one of the best in the business, but he suffered too many injuries to be able to work on top as a singles wrestler in a group where fans expect action. Jake has also killed staying to the point he's risking being almost dead. I understand the number of fan letters sting has gotten over the past two months has suddenly plummeted and he's got a very much unlike sting lack of a pop coming out. Sting worked on Robert's left arm. Most of the way after a missed stinger splash, Roberts hits the DDT. So sting gets up before Jake could climb the pole gets elbowed. The second time he got up, he did a swing around the pole and climbed to get the glove at the same time. Cactus Jack ran out with the snake bag. Jake held the snake and sting came down with the glove sting hit Roberts with the glove and Roberts pulled the snake to make it look like it was biting his cheek and was pinned. The pin got no pop at all because Roberts distracted everyone from it with the snake. Unfortunately, the snake actually did gnaw on Robert's cheek and he bled, which wasn't supposed to happen. I thought they were turning Robert's face, but that wasn't the idea. Roberts ran to the dressing room with the snake being held to his cheek. While all we heard about was the anti-venom backstage, the finish made a bad main event even worse. Boy, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, <laughs> yeah, boy, there isn't there. Woo, the pole is crazy high. Like when you take a look at this thing, I don't imagine that there's any chance Jake Roberts is ever climbing up that damn pole. 
Right. It's not believable. But I, you know, listen, I, I like the, the, the involvement of the snake and maybe it was a distraction. We'll talk about that in a minute, but why not? Was it rigged? Like why not? It feels like it should have been rigged, but why not pick another concept? This coal miners, is this a bill? White's like, man, fans hadn't seen this. They'll be ready for it. What coal miners glove. That just seems weak to me. I think he thought it was new for this audience. Okay. Uh, the charm. I said earlier, use this cliche that the bloom is off the rose. Yeah. For whatever reason, the coal miners glove or stipulation turned heel. Nobody wanted to see it. And the cowboy first did that coal miners glove. I think, yeah, I think it was booked by bill Dundee when Dundee was the booker for cowboy, I think, uh, and it, it worked. Okay. It worked and then because it was brand new and people hadn't seen it and all that stuff. So, uh, but it just, you know, in hindsight, we can go back and say, well, this stipulation would have worked better. This would have worked better, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I also don't, uh, I have a problem with the concept that Jake would have been a better at that point in his career, a better baby face, uh, than he was a heel heels have to feed comebacks for any young wrestler out there listening. Yeah. If you can't feed a comeback and take multiple bumps in, in the, in the process of doing so up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, you can't do it. It ain't gonna work. It ain't gonna, it ain't gonna work. Cause you set the stage, uh, with the heat as a heel, right. Uh, for, for the baby, for the, uh, for the heel to, for the baby face to make a comeback and for the comebacks to be effective, they, obviously the, the heels got a bump and feed. And, you know, when you get to Jake has been beat up and his body was disintegrating on it in front of his eyes, I think he would have been a better baby face based on the, the, those criteria, but that's not how cowboy saw it. Well, and maybe he didn't see it that way because he had come off such a great run on WWF TV with the snake biting macho man and the snake in the box at macho man's uh, wedding and all that stuff. So I understand the concept of, we got to try him as a heel, but to your point, if physically he can't do it, he can't do it. Yeah. Uh, I do want to bring up the snake distraction that perhaps because we got it involved, it becomes, Hey, did sting beat Jake? Or did Jake's own snake beat Jake? It does. It feels a little less than for sting. Does it not? Yeah, maybe I think so. Uh, I didn't see it that way. Okay. I, I saw that sting beat sting, uh, sting beat snake, Jake Roberts, not the snake itself. Uh, it's almost as if the fans expected an appearance by the snake. That was a huge part of Jake's repertoire, but, uh, it, it, it kind of, it kind of stole the show for a few seconds. The snake did. And then biting Jake in the face was somewhat drastic. Uh, obviously you don't, you don't look at the sense somebody bleed from the cheek. That's not a normal way of getting it done. So, uh, it was a, it, it was a conflict, but when I heard that the snake was going to be involved, it didn't offend me before the show. I didn't ask to know how it was going to go over. I knew sting was going to go over. Right. But I didn't know how or, you know, when, and, but I did hear the snake was going to have a cameo and that cameo uh, apparently did at least to Melcher's opinion was not a positive move. So I just want to remind everybody that this is going to be, it's going to sell more pay-per-views than any WCW pay-per-view does for several years. It goes down October 25th, 1992. So as we're talking 
just a couple of days ago, uh, was the 30th anniversary, but this is really Jake's last hurrah. He has a handful of more appearances in the company, but he checks himself into rehab, uh, on the 10th, or at least that's the story on the 11th. It's announced he's out of WCW and uh, we know eventually he does pop back up, but it's in independent promotions. It's South of the border for AAA. It's 1993. The bloom is off the rose here. And this is essentially Jake Roberts swan song. He does a sit down interview, I think on WCW Saturday night before he's out of here, but man, what could have been Jake Roberts was such a monster heel in the WWF and as silly as some of this stuff was the, the snake. And I don't mean like his nickname. I mean, the literal actual snake that was over with wrestling audiences. We had seen it bite the macho man on the WWF program. Now we've seen it bite Jake. It does feel like, man, there was a lot of meat left on the bone for Jake Roberts here in WCW, but maybe his personality conflict with bill Watts, maybe some outside. Well, it's drug use of the rank. There you go. Substance abuse, Conrad cut to the chase here. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's more skin on the bone or meat on the bone or yeah. whatever, whatever's on the bone, uh, uh, was there. But, you know, I've always said that one of the, the greatest trait that I look for in a talent was reliability. I said that many times in this broadcast reliability. And it, there was a point there where, you know, you'd see Jake and he looked like he'd been up all night type deal and looked rough. He, he knew he was battling these DS demons and he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't tag out. Right. Until he got some help. And then that was a. And I don't know how many rehabs he's, he went to. I have no idea, but more than one. Yes. So I think that's the situation there, Connie. Just that his, his uh, drug use, drug and alcohol addiction uh, was his biggest adversary. <coughs> it's, uh, it's a shame because it, it, what could have been? Yeah. As we said, this, this show gets over 160,000 buys. Starcade 92, the next pay-per-view, down to 95,000. And, and we wouldn't crack 160 until we finally do Hogan Flair, and that hits 225. That's wow. in 1994. So it's a big deal, and it tells you that you know fans do care about Jake Roberts. They do care about Sting. And selfishly, as a fan, I would have liked to have seen more done with Cactus Jack and Jake Roberts. It felt like they could have told some great stories. They could have. Man, that would have been fun, huh? But you go back to the same deal. Yeah. Is Jake healthy? Is he able to accept the responsibilities and the workload of travel and so forth and so on while he's battling his substance and alcohol abuse? Right. Substance abuse, I should say, I guess. But it just, you know, he, he was, that was a bigger demon than anything else. It's a bigger demon than trying to figure out how we're going to use a state creatively that's not going to steal the show. I still go back to the same point. At, at, after this match, Steen could have, or excuse me, uh, Jake could have easily been a baby face for sure. And I think he would have been more effective for the company as this veteran, a KG, uh, I know every shortcut in the book, baby face. And, uh, but that was not to be. Well, what is to be is we're going to be back next week and, uh, I'm pretty fired up about it because we're going to do something that, uh. Well, we haven't touched on in a long time, but it feels like we should just in time for the anniversary. 
the 25th anniversary. We're going to cover Brett's 1997 part two. We started it a while back. We didn't finish it. Of course, we can't tell the story of Brett in 1997 without talking about the Montreal screw job. And we unbelievably are, are 25 years out from that. Hard to believe it is here in a couple of weeks. It'll be the anniversary and we hard want, to believe that was a, what a weekend that was. We're going to talk about it in long form and we want your questions. If you've got a question for Jim about the Montreal screw job or Brett's 1997, cause what a performer he was, uh, we're going to be fielding those on Twitter at Jr. grilling. You can follow Jim, of course, at Jr's BBQ, follow me at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. If you dig what we're doing, throw us a like, hit the subscribe button. And if you think we've earned it, throw us a five-star review. Yeah, baby. Speaking of five stars, <laughs> jrsbbq.com, man, five-star products, five-star service. And, uh, I can't believe I heard a rumor. JR's red ass hot sauce is in the warehouse. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> we're going to be shipping soon and then advertising it and promoting it. So it's, uh, we finally got our shipment and you know, I, I can tell you that those, some of, some of you may be also in the distributing your products, uh, type of world, you know, getting all your suppliers and all your people involved, uh, on the same page is challenging, but we finally got it done. And the, and the product is in Oklahoma. As soon as we get everything inventoried and, uh, we're going to start promoting the shit out of it and hope the folks will give it a try, try up, try a bottle. It'll, it'll be a, it may be a collector's bottle, or it may be something we see around for a long time. I think you're going to really like it. It's got personality, and uh, you can't have hot sauce. That's personality. Red-ass personality. I love it. JRsBBQ.com. Go check it out right now. I think you'll be glad you did. And be sure to check us out next week. By the way, if you got a wrestling fan in your life you want to introduce to the podcast, maybe the best way to do that is to direct them to our YouTube it's youtube.com forward slash grilling Jr. We've got bite-sized clips there. Some fun little, uh, anecdotes from us here on the program. And then of course, uh, maybe they'll find us, hit the subscribe button and check us out every week. Starting next week, we talk about Bret Hart in 1997 and don't forget tomorrow night. Be sure to check out Jim Ross. He's going to be at the Mohegan sun. You can still join him AEWTIX.com. And of course it's going to be on T and T man. Y'all are going to have some fun, huh? Yeah, it's going to be a good show. It's loaded. Uh, it's a loaded hour. There's no dead spots. That's what I, one of the great things I like about it. And and I we have no problem maintaining our energy because the, Tony Khan does a real good job of of, uh, uh, of booking these shows, and he's putting more time, in my opinion, uh, we all are, in uh, building Rampage. So it's a good, succinct, exciting one-hour show. Uh, 10 o'clock Eastern time on uh, TNT. Hope you'll check it out. We have a lot of fun, Shivani and uh, Excalibur. And I, like I said, I really enjoy working with those guys and, uh, they, they really do an excellent job. So happy to be on the team, Conrad, just happy to be on the team, man. Well, and we're going to see you and the rest of the gang right here next week on grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Thanks for tuning in everybody. We appreciate, we love you guys for all your support. We really do. And, uh, next week's show will be a kick-ass show and rampage tomorrow night on Friday night will be a ball buster. Thanks for watching. We'll see you soon. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. 
Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.